Turn to Matthew chapter 1, if you would, please. It's, it's a privilege, as always, to uh, stand in the pulpit and uh, appreciate pastors' uh, willingness and confidence in allowing me to bring the Word of God to you this morning. It's not something I take lightly. It's always a privilege and responsibility. And uh, we'll just have a word of prayer and look at the Word together. Thank you, Father, for the gospel. Thank you for the Christmas story, the greatest story ever told. And it was told first to the shepherds, reminding us that it is, in fact, truly for the least to the greatest and everyone in between. We just pray that you'd bless the word now and our time in the word together in a special way. Lord, we, we're needy people. We've come with hearts that are needy and I trust willing and ready to receive uh, your word, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Our confidence is in you, your word, and the Holy Spirit as our teacher. And I pray that you would just do your uh, divine work in our midst in a special way, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. To many, especially children, Christmas is a magical time. It truly is, as they say, the most wonderful time of the year. For children, Christmas is magical. It's it's. It's a time when anything is possible. I remember as a child that I liked and memorized that poem, The Night Before Christmas. I, I don't have it all still in my memory. I know it starts the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And eventually it gets to that part when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. As a child, I would quote that in my mind, lying in my bed at night, maybe six, seven years old, and in the silence of the night, I thought, do you suppose it could happen? Do you suppose Santa could come and the sleigh would land on our roof and, you know, when you're a child, that, that chasm between fantasy and reality isn't very big and, and you just wonder if it could really happen. And my folks didn't teach me that Santa was real and all that, but kids still have a hard time figuring out all that stuff. But I just... I just listened for maybe that sound of the hooves on the roof, you know, and it just seemed like at Christmas, you know, anything could happen. I remember wishing it were true and hoping that it would happen. I remember being filled with wonder and awe at all of this excitement, anticipation. And later, you know, uh, there are other things that really amaze me. I'm, I'm amazed at magicians that can literally pull a rabbit out of a hat or something. I mean, you just, 
you know that there's a trick to it, but it's just, it's just amazing, isn't it? What, what, what can be done? And those guys that are, or gals, I guess, that are impressionist, and they can sound like somebody, I mean, really sound like Jimmy Stewart or really sound like Elvis or whoever they're impressed. I mean, it's amazing. It just fills you with some wonder. But, you know, a lot of us, by the time we reach adulthood, we've kind of lost the wonder. And we become sophisticated and a little bit cynical and maybe even shockproof. Spiritually speaking, though, that's really too bad. Because we have a wonderful Savior. In fact, the Bible says unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. We have a wonderful God, an awesome God, a miracle-working God, an incomprehensible God, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, who is able to say to us, you know, just come and ask of me anything that you want to. And I'll hear and I'll answer your prayers. And I'll do things that you cannot comprehend. We have a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. I'd like to with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, restore some of our wonder as we look at our text and consider the wonder of Christmas, especially Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled. And I loved Jim's analogy with chess this morning in Sunday school and how a good chess player thinks way ahead and gets things right in place so that that proper time, boom, checkmate. And God is always working, always thinking and, and planning things way in advance. And all of this was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And that, of course, is the prophet Isaiah who said 700 years earlier, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I'd like to have you consider with me five things that might help us restore the wonder of Christmas. First of all, let's consider the miracle of Christmas, the virgin birth. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child. The primary miracle of Christmas is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. One of our foundational doctrines as believers in the Lord. Who has ever heard of such a thing? A virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall be with child. This was absolutely, biologically, humanly, physically impossible. 
That's why Mary responded as she did when the, Lord, when the angel came and said, you know, you are going to conceive and bear a son. And she said, how shall these things be? It's impossible. I'd, I'm not intimate with a man. It's impossible. I'm a virgin. I, the, and the angel said, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the miracle of Christmas. And it had been specifically prophesied 700 years earlier. And now it's being fulfilled. The miracle of Christmas, the virgin birth. Remember, this was long before these last days. I like how Daniel concludes, and it says in the 12th chapter of Daniel that in the time of the end, men shall go to and forth. For to and fro on the earth and knowledge will increase. We're in those days. Think of the advances in travel and technology in the last hundred years. We're in the last days. And so we've heard of, you know, test tube babies and in vitro fertilization and artificial insemination and surrogate motherhood and cloning and x-rays and ultrasound, CAT scans, all of these things we have heard of. But 2,000 years ago, for them to say a virgin will conceive and bear a son, we could never reproduce this even today with all of our technology, but think of how this must have sounded to them at that time. This was an astounding miracle that only God could have done. And by the way, God still can do astounding miracles. We're praying for big things. We did this morning. And that's good. Because God can do amazing things still. He's still the same God, amen? was still the same Bible, still the same Holy Spirit. We still have the same invitation. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you cannot comprehend. It should help restore the wonder. should help us attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. It should help us retain and maintain our sense of excitement and enthusiasm and anticipation to know that we have a God who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. The wonder of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, is what begins to restore the wonder as we think about it this morning. Secondly, I want you to consider the man of Christmas. The verse says, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. We know, of course, it's talking about Jesus. Unto us, a child is born, reveals his humanity. Jesus came into this world in a very lowly way, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. That took great humility, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. 
So the humanity of Jesus Christ is very crucial to the Christmas story. This virgin will conceive a child, but she shall bear a son. You know, there's the difference between boys and girls. You know that, right? There's confusion about that out there today. But there's no confusion with God. God is not the author of confusion. This virgin will bear a son. And the son is identified, of course, a couple verses earlier, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's no doubt about who this is talking about. The man of Christmas is Jesus Christ. And of course, he was a man. The Bible uses masculine pronouns when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is called the Son of Man, Matthew 8.20. In fact, he's called the Son of Man over 30 times in the New Testament. Peter says when he betrayed Jesus, he said, I, I know not the man, Matthew 26.72. The centurion who saw Jesus crucified and saw the veil rent in twain said truly this man was the son of God Pilate said as Jesus stood before him I find no fault with this man and Paul writing to Timothy said there's one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus the the man of Christmas is Jesus Christ if he wasn't a man, he could not have fulfilled prophecy. If he wasn't a man, he could not have been tempted like as we are. If he was not a man, he could not have died and been our substitute. And of course, there's a bunch of people today, including some uh, zany so-called theologians that say God isn't necessarily masculine, you know. It's not important that God be a man. And it's okay to pray, Our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There are those that would say that. And some will write a book like the shack and portray God as a black woman. They do whatever they want to, it seems, with sacred scripture. Some are removing all masculine pronouns to God out of their Bibles and out of their hymnals. You know that's going on, right? And yet it's shocking to see it. I, I remember pastoring in Grinnell, and uh, we have a little Berkeley right here in Iowa, and that's Grinnell College. It's a very liberal bubble over there. But I would enter the bubble once in a while, and I was over there in the chapel one day by myself. Yes, they have a chapel on campus, but it's just in name only. And there's hymnals in the racks there in the pews, and I picked up a hymnal, and I, I opened it up, and all of the references that were masculine in there had been neuterized, changed. 
It's not good Christian men rejoice. It's good Christian folks rejoice or something like that. I just went through it. I saw all these things. It was very disturbing. It's a bunch of, as the Greek word is, baloney. <laughs> and it's blasphemy too. The man of Christmas helps us understand and also helps us wonder because we come to the majesty of Christmas next. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, that's the miracle of Christmas, bear a son, that's the man of Christmas, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God. This is the majesty of Christmas. God. This child, this baby, this son, this man was human, but he was more than that. As my pastor evangelist friend Ross Crowe says, he was more than a manly God and a godly man. He was fully man and fully God. He was both man and both God. And I listened in awe and wonder driving in my car the other day as a wonderful choir sang Silent Night. It was so familiar to us. But I think it's in one of the last verses. It concludes with Jesus Lord at thy birth. He was God at his birth. He was Lord already at his birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The majesty of Christmas. Make no mistake, he was, he is God. His earthly human stepfather was Joseph, only a man. No divinity there. His mother was Mary, a wonderful saintly woman, but she was a woman, a human being. Despite the fact that our Catholic friends sing Ave Maria, which I looked it up, it, it, it's really the rosary. It's Hail Mary, full of grace, and blessed art thou among women, and on it goes. It's a prayer to Mary. And that's disturbing. It says, Mary full of grace. That's not a scriptural phrase. Only Jesus was full of grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Only Jesus can be said he was full of grace. All the rest of us need grace. A lot of it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Only Jesus is full of grace. Only Jesus is someone we should pray to. 
Because there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The rosary calls Mary the mother of God. That's not a scriptural phrase either. Now, Jesus was God and Jesus was born of Mary, but it's not biblical or scriptural to say Mary's the mother of God. Because when we think of God in its total, we think of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mary was not the mother of God the Father. She was not the mother of the Holy Spirit. She was the mother of the child in his humanity, Jesus, who is God. She, she was conceived of the Holy Spirit. She carried Jesus in her womb. She gave birth to Jesus. But she is not the mother of God. She is not to be prayed to. She is not sinless. She's not full of grace. She's not a mediator. Don't denigrate Mary. Don't, I don't denigrate her. She's a wonderful woman. She had a wonderful privilege. Blessed art thou among women. Not above women, among women, blessed art thou. But who she gave birth to, that child Jesus, was not a normal baby. He was Emmanuel, God. Can you imagine their wonder, Joseph and Mary? Michael Card captures this wonder for Joseph, his stepfather, human father, in the song, Joseph's Song. How can it be? How can it be that this baby in my arms is God? For all my life, I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Joseph dealing with the wonder. And of course, Mark Lowry takes on Mary's wonder. She pondered these things in his heart. And, she, and he wrote, Mary, did you know your baby boy would one day walk on water? Did you know your baby boy would save your sons and daughters? And she had other sons and daughters, by the way. Jesus was her firstborn son, not her only son. As some would teach otherwise. Mary, did you know your baby is the Lord of all creation? Did you know that one day he'll rule the nations? And this child, did you know, Mary, that this child you delivered will someday deliver you? Did you know that this child walked where angels trod? And Mary, did you know that when you kiss your baby, you kiss the face of God? No wonder she wondered and pondered these things in her heart. Doesn't it help to restore your wonder to think about these things? The majesty of Christmas, God. Now the marvel of Christmas is with. God with us. With. 
Have you met, ever met any famous people, been around any famous people? And just been kind of awestruck. Man, that, that's... You were close. Maybe you heard their voice, saw their face, maybe even shook their hand, got an autograph. Summer of 1969, went down to Kansas City Royals, Minnesota Twins baseball game. Minnesota Twins fan in Kansas City was about as close as they got back then. Maybe still is. And uh, I had my, bought my, my, my program and everything, and I took it down there. And in those days, you could go right down to the corner there where they come out of the tunnel onto the field, and I got Harmon Killebrew's autograph. I spoke to him. He signed my program. He's in the Hall of Fame. I think he's in heaven now. I'll tell you that story sometime. But uh, as a kid, I mean, wow, it doesn't get much better than that. You're a baseball fan, and you, and you get the autograph of your greatest baseball hero who's still knocking them out of the park at an amazing rate. Have you been to the Mall of America? The home plate is there from the old Metropolitan Stadium. And way over there on the wall, up above everything else, there's an old seat out of the Metropolitan Stadium to represent the longest home run that Harmon Killebrew ever hit in the Metropolitan Stadium. I got his autograph. That's pretty special. But nothing like God with Christmas. The marvel of Christmas. Wow. God came here to this planet 2,000 years ago. He made this planet, and then he came to this planet. It's a wonderful thing to be in Christ. It's a wonderful thing to live for Christ. Can you imagine being with Christ? Christ with us? That's going to happen again. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And when we lose a loved one, it's so wonderful if they're saved to realize and know they are with Christ. We went to a funeral yesterday of, of one of Vivian's dear friends, a, a Christian lady. And somebody had put up a painting in the, in the casket there of, it looked like it would be her embracing Jesus in glory. An artist's rendition. I, I don't know how that all happens. I, 
I don't think I'll be that brash to just go up and, and hug Jesus. If anything, I'll fall at his feet and maybe touch his big toe or something. I'm not sure. To be with Christ. Are you kidding me? To be with Christ. To be with him will crown it all. To be at his feet and before him fall and to feast within his banquet hall. To be with him will crown it all. The marvel of Christmas is God with and the mission of Christmas is us. The mission of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? He came to save his people from their sins. That's us. We're sinners. We need a savior. It's true, and I love out there on my road going out to where I live, I call it 80th, but you're, if you're down here, it's a different name going that way. But there's somebody that puts up out there bright lights in their yard that Jesus is the reason for the season, and he is. He is the one who came, he's the one who born, he's the one that we celebrate but it also could be said we are the reason for the season because he came for us. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And that's the mission of Christmas and that should help restore the wonder of Christmas to think about it. You're sitting here in Altoona Regular Baptist Church this morning. Why? It's all because of Jesus. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. He gets all the praise. Because I know that if it weren't for Jesus... I would not be here this morning. I would hate to think about where I would be and what I would have done with my life if it had not been for Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, who came to save me from my sins. I remember Dr. Haug at Faith would every once in a while say in a personal testimony, I've never lost the wonder. And I want that to be my testimony. I don't want to ever lose the wonder of Christmas. It's still the most wonderful time of the year because he is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His salvation is wonderful. His Holy Spirit is wonderful. The scriptures are wonderful. Being a Christian is wonderful. Being your brothers and sisters in Christ is wonderful. Taking my kids and grandkids with me to heaven will be wonderful. Spending eternity with Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Jeremiah and Daniel and Moses will be wonderful. But to be with him will crown it all.
and to think, in this mission of Christmas, Jesus coming for you and coming for me as poor, lost, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners, you know what? We can be involved in this mission. We can help by bringing others to Jesus. Because Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I want you to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. When I think of soul winners, I, I'm an older guy, so I, I think back to John R. Rice and the sword of the Lord. And, and I'm not current with it now, but I, I uh, remember reading it a lot when I was a young man, young pastor. And I remember when he died in December of 1980. And in the last issue of the Sword of the Lord that he edited, he said, in a Christmas letter dictated a few days before his death, he said, I quote, I still from my armchair preach in great revivals. I still vision hundreds walking the aisles to accept Christ. I still feel hot tears for the lost. I want no Christmas without a burden for lost souls, a message for sinners, a heart to bring in the lost. May food be tasteless, music a discord, Christmas a farce, if I forget the dying millions. If this fire in my bones does not still flame, not till I die nor till Jesus comes, Will I ever be eased from, these, from this burden, these tears, this toil to save souls? That challenged me as a young preacher. And I want to be a part of this mission. That souls are still being saved. Praise the Lord, they're still being saved. The wonder of Christmas. Can you say I've never lost the wonder? Well, I, th I think some of us have come close and maybe gone over into that area of ho-hum to Christmas at times. But I hope today that once again, your heart will be thrilled with the miracle, the man, the majesty, the marvel, and the mission of Christmas. If you are saved this morning, you have already received the greatest gift of all. We're all planning to give gifts, maybe receive some gifts at Christmas. That's fine. That's wonderful. But it's nothing like so great salvation. Can you say you are serving your coming Savior and King? Can you say you are seeking the salvation of lost friends and loved ones? And hopefully you're not sulking in whatever lot in life you perceive you're in. Because sometimes we think, I've really got it bad. And there are real trials and tribulations that we go through. I don't minimize those at all. But... Like one of my trustees used to say in Hibbing, every time he saw me, he said, Pastor, you've got it made. 
I guess he just thought somebody that sits in an office and prepares messages for a living has it made. And I did, and I do. But so do you if you're a Christian. You've got it made. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's all because Jesus came. The wonder of Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that it will continue to grow the thrill and wonder in our hearts and minds all the way to the sounding of the trumpet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.